So stoicism, Dylan, what's this all about? Uh, I go on, yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, I've come today to just uh, to talk a little bit about uh, stoicism and uh, revelations that I've had in my life and how, uh, how the philosophy of stoicism has helped me. Um, particularly, I want to focus on how it's helped me to um, be a clinician, how to yeah. work in healthcare mm-hmm. um, and how it's... Uh, be beneficial to me in that way. So, so what's your what's your background there then? So I worked. That? Yeah, I work. Uh, I'm an advanced nurse practitioner. I work for the ambulance service here in the UK. Um, I I work in the pre-hospital environment, um, and uh, so I go out to major traumas, critically ill patients, and things like that. My background is that I've worked in lots of different departments in the hospital. I've been an advanced nurse practitioner as part of the hospital at night team as part of the out of hours team prior to that I've worked in the emergency department medical assessment I also spent a couple of years working as an offshore medic um, which gave me a lot of autonomy and then I sort of translated that back into becoming an advanced nurse practitioner so about 20 years of work for the NHS yeah yeah in lots of different roles and a few other things too yeah that all kind of relate yeah so I've a sort of broad experience of working uh, across the hospital and um, pre-hospitally as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. kind of my, my background. So how did, where did stoicism come in in all of this then? How did you get interested in this? Well, um, interestingly, it was a podcast to begin with. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Good format. Oh, yeah, good format. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have struggled at times uh, as in, in my career with my mental health, and I know that lots of other um, healthcare workers out there will have experienced similar problems. Um, I've struggled with depression, with anxiety, um, and have developed pretty poor <laughs> coping mechanisms for dealing with these things. It took me a long time to recognize that I was dealing with them. As um, most of the human race do, I'd imagine. Yeah. But, yeah. And uh, certainly over the last couple of years, the obviously the strain and the burden that's been placed on people working in the NHS um, has been immense. And I know that lots of people have really struggled uh, yeah. during the last couple of years with um, everything that was happening where everything that it just felt like everything that was fun in your life was stripped away and mm. you were just left with having to go to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So there were times I really struggled and I just saw lots of ways of trying to, to, to get control of my mind, I suppose is, mm-hmm. is what I wanted to do. And I could recognize times when I, I was going downhill um, and I, I knew that I was going to use these bad coping mechanisms and that I was going, uh, and that I knew that it was going to make it worse, but it was very difficult for me to um, get myself back on track and to see that. Uh, So looked at various different coping mechanisms, as I say, and um, one of them that came out that really just reverberated with me. And I thought, oh, this is exactly how I think and Mm -hmm. how I want to be was the view of stoicism. Yeah. Yeah. um, yeah, and how and how that worked, and yeah, so that's kind of how I uh, came across stoicism, um, and I hope to explore it a bit through this podcast and uh, how it's helped me in yeah. uh, clinical work and relate it to other people in that area. Yeah, that's hopefully, cool. hopefully, yeah. other people would find it as useful as I found it. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's ask the <laughs> the question. Probably some people are like, is this not um, you know 
old guys in robes with big beards with names like Epic Stoa. Titus, Litus. Well, well, I mean, you obviously can't see me, but I am a guy with a beard wearing a robe right now. Uh, so that's exactly, exactly what I've yes. taken from this. Uh, no, I, um, so Stoicism, yes, it is, it is ancient and it is to do with the Roman Greece and walking yeah. about in sandals and things. And um, it was started by a guy called Zeno in Athens mm -hmm. um, in the third century BC. And it sort of flourished through Roman Greece for about, 600 years there's there are some famous ones um famous stoics so seneca epictetus and probably most famous for people of our sort of age is marcus aurelius uh who was uh played by richard harris in the movie gladiator he was the good the good um emperor who was killed uh, at the okay. start by commodus so yeah. yeah that was marcus aurelius so he's a very famous stoic um, mm -hmm. and his stoic teachings um are are out there um i that is probably the extent of what I know about yeah. the ancient yeah. Stoics, to be honest. Um, <laughs> do you that, need to know any more than that, though? <laughs> so I don't. Yeah. Uh, some people, I'm sure, do, and mm -hmm. some people yep. would love to talk about it. Uh, but a lot of people out there have done a huge amount more information yeah. on this than, that, than I ever could. Yeah. So if you want to find out more about the ancient Stoics, there is unlimited learning out there. But yeah. uh, for me, I just wanted to use the, the way that they taught. So their philosophy. Yeah. And I looked at how to practically implement that in my life. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, their philosophy as a way of life, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done a bit of reading around it as well. And I feel like there's always, there's a bit of a, um, a lot of the Stoic teachers out there, like the modern Stoic teachers, there's a bit of an ego trip around it, like knowing the history and knowing all the names and be able to do all the proper quotes in yeah, sure. ancient yeah. Greek and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But it, yeah. that's not what affects your actual life no, these days. No, it? it could absolutely, you could spend forever looking at that. And, and yeah. obviously people do, that's yeah. what their job is. Yeah, yeah, know, for sure. know, philosophy yeah. lecturers will yeah. spend a lot of time looking at this, yeah. but it definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. To me, it was just about practically applying. It. Yeah. Just in case anyone listening that is interested in delving into that, you, is, there, is there anyone that you know that does it well? Um, I found uh, the William B. Irvin book, The Guide mm -hmm. to the Good Life, was oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. where I started my exploration yeah. into Stoicism. He yeah. talks about it. He does both, really. He yeah. talks about it, the ancient history, and how to implement it into your life. And I yeah. found that to be a really, really useful text. Cool. Um, but there are... There are unlimited podcasts out there so for you if people want to, to find out more. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. So like get into what it actually does then. What what is the base problem that it solves for you? So the idea of um stoicism, I suppose one of the one of the central ideas is that you achieve happiness in your life by being virtuous rather than dealing with external things. So it's happiness is intrinsic to you and mm -hmm. it is internal to you mm -hmm. and it is not related to external things. So things like money, having a big house, you know, all, all of the things that we tend to prize mm -hmm. are not actually related to happiness. And yeah. um, I'm sure everybody can relate to that in terms of you want to achieve a thing, you want to buy a thing, mm -hmm. and then as soon as you've got it, you actually just want something else. And there are lots of um, people out there who talk about this as well without relating it to Stoicism. So like, you know, minimalism and mm. um, Zen Buddhism, uh, these are all 
focus on that kind of thing as well, that that, that your external things that you buy or crave are not actually the things that are going to make you happy. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Stoics talk about four virtues, which are wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice. Mm -hmm. And if you try and adhere to those principles, then you will be happier. Mm -hmm. It's essentially what the Stoics teach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, With the key part of it being that... um, external things are not going to be the source of happiness that you think they are. Yeah. So uh, why do we think that's what makes us happy then? Well, (laughs) um, again, so this is a, (laughs) so um, any uh, neuropsychiatrists out there are going to hate what I'm about to say. um, (laughs) No, no, simplify. Yeah. So I've really (laughs) tried to uh, simplify the understanding of how my brain works and how uh, humans think uh, so that I can, interpret it for myself and I, I sort of I visited lots of texts and then thought about different things um and I suppose I, I I've almost broken it down into um very similar to how William B. Irvin describes it in Guide to the Good Life of that we are evolutionary animals so we have evolved um and I, I should probably mention at this point that I don't have any sort of faith I know some people um, would perhaps use faith in, in in this instance, or you know, to look at um, how to make themselves happy. It's that I don't have that, and I'm definitely an atheist. And I um, I look at how we've evolved, um, and how our brains have evolved to make us better in. Uh, or to make us more likely to pass on our genes, if you like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So the, the selfish gene, as Richard Dawkins <clears throat> described it. So the way in which our brains are evolved and the way that we think um, to allow us to uh, procreate yeah, and, yeah. And, and pass on. So if you think back to, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, um, a, a person who was greedy and overate and um, would store up fat for the winter Mm -hmm. and the lean times when there was less food, that person would be more likely to survive the winter than somebody who didn't have those characteristics. Okay. So you could see how the the need to overeat Mm -hmm. and uh, the decision-making process that's involved in overeating uh, would be passed down as a survival trait, uh, but it has negative consequences now for people in a society where food is freely available. (laughs) Yeah. It's very easy. Overeating is massively uh, available. Yeah. (laughs) We're overeating (laughs) constantly and there's no lean period in the winter. Yeah. (laughs) Because you just go to the co-op and you sort it. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so that's a kind of that's a basic example of how yeah. um, certain certain behaviors mm. are rewarding to yeah. you. Your brain is engineered, or your brain is mm. evolved to um, find certain behaviors rewarding, and yeah. they were in the past they were useful, but now potentially they're not so useful. Yeah, um, that, that beer belly, that uh, big belly is not a. Uh, a camel's store of um, nutrients for no, winter anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. It serves a different purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. yeah. So if you can think of, just sort of recognize, I suppose, that um, there are some evolutionary traits and the way that your brain mm-hmm. works mm-hmm. that 
aren't that useful in today's yeah. society. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've changed. We're still we're still running on like twenty thousand year old software yes. in our brains, exactly. Um, which now should the parameters of that should have changed. Yeah, but we're unable to do so. But we're unable to change it. Yeah. So they still <laughs> Not easily at least. Yeah. So that's yeah. still going on in the background. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, I think what's interesting as well is how culture um, influences what mm -hmm. is good behavior and what is rewarding to you. Yeah. So. Um, William Irvin gives again, like a, an example of how we crave um, to have a big house. You want a big house, you want a big telly, mm -hmm. you want a big car. These are all things that you think I will be happy once yeah. I achieve those things, yeah. because that's your mind is, is telling you that these are the things that society finds rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people might say, oh, well, that's not society. I mean, it's obviously it's, you know, it's intrinsically obvious that if you, um, have a big house, you're successful and things. But if mm. you imagine that you woke up tomorrow and you were the only human being left on earth, there mm. were no other people mm -hmm. at all. It sounds peaceful. It sounds peaceful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can imagine that you might immediately move into a big house with uh, a swimming pool yeah. and just say, oh, I'm going to live here because this, this house is awesome. Yeah. Right? But then a year <laughs> later, like the swimming pool's full of algae and it's a bit thing <laughs> in and there's a hole in the roof yeah. and you can't fix it because it's five stories high. <laughs> you don't want to go up there on a ladder because you're the only human being left. You know? yeah. And I, so I, you could see a situation that gradually over time you would actually abandon all of yeah. that and you would yeah. end up living in a, a small house that was easy to maintain that mm -hmm. just met your needs that yeah. protected you from the weather essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that would be all that you'd actually want. Yeah. So although these things that we think that we crave and we think that are being sent, you know, uh, our, our minds are pushing us towards these things. They mm -hmm. actually, the culture that you live in has a huge influence yeah. on yeah. what you think you want. Um, We're just comparing ourselves and trying to live up to these perceived trappings, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. that perhaps yeah. aren't aren't real, really. Yeah. Um, and are they intrinsic at all, or are they just yeah. purely moderated by society? Yeah. And I suppose that's sort of what the Stoics were exploring um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in looking at how actually your happiness, you think, is influenced by all of these things. But yeah. It doesn't yeah. really have to be at all. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the words before this to me, the conscious, unconscious mind. Is that what that is? It's like yeah. the way you... Yeah, so essentially, um, and again, this is a massive oversimplification. This is a model for thinking about thinking rather than yeah. this is the way things actually are. Yeah. But if you think, if you just split your mind into the conscious and unconscious mind, um, so you've got your unconscious mind, which is very useful. It keeps you breathing and stuff, and it keeps your heart going. And, you know, <laughs> handy stuff. Yeah, handy stuff. Um, but what it also does, it'll tick away in the background, and it'll mm. it'll say... Uh, it'll notice things that would make your life better uh, and whether they're influenced by society or not. So your unconscious mind sort of drives you towards um, things uh, and and certain behaviours and things that, um, that you think would be rewarding. So, yeah. for instance, say you wanted to buy uh, a new car. Right. Right? And there's a type of car that you want to buy. And I guarantee that everybody listening to this at some point will have wanted something like this, where 
you've made your mind up, you want this new car, and then suddenly you see that car absolutely everywhere. When you're out and <laughs> yeah. about, there's that car, yeah. there's that car. Yeah. I remember when my wife was pregnant with our first child, she just saw pregnant women everywhere. <laughs> there were just pregnant women all over the place. Yeah, it yeah. was like everybody in the city yeah. was pregnant. And uh, <laughs> now you don't really notice it at all, you know. So yeah. um, that is your unconscious mind speaking mm-hmm. to you. There's that thing, there's yeah. that thing, there's yeah. that thing that's important to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, it's worth bearing in mind that your con- unconscious mind is always driving you mm-hmm. to do things that on the surface seem like they would be rewarding. Yeah. Um, and it's up to your conscious mind. Your conscious mind is the other aspect of your mind mm-hmm. that, you know, sits there and does the daily work and mm-hmm. deals with things. Although some people manage their daily work unconsciously as well. But, um <laughs> Yeah, the conscious mind that would drive you forward and, and say, these are the things I actually want to do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, anybody who's tried to write an essay with YouTube on the background knows very well the fight between the conscious and unconscious <laughs> mind that uh, will drive you to do yeah. one action or another. Yeah. So, so is that a lot of what the, the stoic practices are based around, are developing the strength of your conscious mind and, and noticing what your unconscious mind is doing? So that you can kind of tackle it. Yes. And when you're sort of faced with decisions to make um, about your life uh, and about the things that are going to make you happy and the things that you want to do or the things that others want to do, um, that you can recognize that there's an unconscious mind. This is exactly the same as you find bias in, you know, academic literature and things like that. That There's an unconscious mind that's willing you Mm -hmm. to do these things. And I suppose the Stoics are sort of arguing that what a more constructive way to look at it or tool that you can use Mm -hmm. is to use, you know, the four pillars or all these different techniques that I'll go into uh, to cast a different light on those things uh, and to look at them from a much more objective sense um, and how you can take control if you yeah, like yeah, uh, of, yeah. of these things and not listen to this unconscious mind which is still running on like we said old old software old, or old software. <clears throat> or just listening to other people way too much yeah cool. yeah, yeah. And, and there's some really practical stuff isn't there that you can do so that's like what you want to get into over the next yeah episode next few episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely so um so that's the background of like my very simplified model of how the brain works and yeah. my very simplified model of uh, stoicism and where yeah. it came from and then yeah just looking at yeah. practical things so cool um, so what's the first what's the first one we'll look at in the next episode then what will we uh, tease so I, for our I think the very things? first thing to look at is what uh, William Irving calls the dichotomy of control mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there are things that are within your control and there are things that are not within your control yeah and that's it really yeah um, I, I think William Irving also explores things that are sort of partially within your control but I I'll stick with the two at the moment. Uh, So the dichotomy of control of um, when you break everything down, absolutely Mm -hmm. everything down, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, it turns out the only thing that's really in your control is how you feel and your actions. And that's it. And everything else is external to you. Um, And that can push you forward. Yeah. And there's stuff you can do, the techniques, tactics that you'll bring up that we can actually do to exercise that. To to recognise the bits of a problem that are in your control and the bits that aren't and whether a problem really is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. All right. Next one. Okay. We'll come back to that in the next episode. All right. Thanks for the chat, Dylan. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks, Phil.